Hello there, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message to all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in their lives. You've come to the right place. So for those that are new, I want to refer you to my website at ultimatemeaning.com where there is a message that I give that is the most prominent video there out of the gallery. It is the one that is first. It is called version two. The other version is good too, but it is a message, a message to the whole world. It doesn't matter what your background is. Revealing what ultimate truth and reality is who the one true God could only possibly be. There's also a flip book there with very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me to you that answers the very hardest questions and some with very unique answers that I've not heard explained anywhere else. A lot of hard questions are answered in that flip book and it is filled with red print, which are actually links to very profound and amazing YouTube videos from many fields of science and archaeology that highly confirm the reality of what I am sharing. And of course, the vast majority of the public doesn't realize the mastery of deception there is. So many things that are declared as fact that are complete lies, for example, the theory of evolution, the Big Bang Theory, which now has been pretty well decimated, because even the biggest proponents of it don't believe in it, after what the James Webb Space Telescope has discovered, which is a hundred times more powerful than the Hubble and a million miles away from the Earth. Anyhow, there's various things that you will find in those videos. That's not in the flipbook on the James Webb Space Telescope, but in the videos, certainly there's some of those things. That are mentioned. I will now just want to tune in more specifically to those that have come to know the one true God for whom to know is life eternal. This message is a message that I speak from my heart without preparation. I don't have notes or things like that. I do have uh, different scriptures that I have pasted in. But the Word of God says in 1 Peter 4.11 that we are to speak as the oracles of God. We are to seek to allow God to speak through us and to cultivate and stir up that gift of allowing God to speak by His Spirit through us, especially when we assemble together around Jesus Christ. And so I will seek to do that. In Revelations 19.10, this is further explained where we read, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When we worship God in the genuine reverence and humility before God, we worship him in spirit and in truth, but of great love for God, we are then filled with the Spirit and an 
over, in an overflow, which can result in creative utterances beyond ourselves. That's why it says there, there's the spirit of prophecy. It comes out of worshiping God, out of a pure heart, especially often with songs, songs that may be spontaneous that we make up out of our own, allowing God to emanate and augment our own creativity. It's something that is greatly lacking in the body of Christ in these days because when we gather together, it's usually just the pastor and a few people that speak and you have to ask permission to use the mic. But that's not the way it was in the early church. And that's not the way it will be in the last days. Because God is not satisfied with local assemblies that limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from abiding in the corporate body in assembly. God is wanting to fully come and dwell among your assembly. And that means that each member of the body be greatly encouraged to share, whether it's a testimony, a word of encouragement, a prayer, a word of exhortation, a prophetic word, whatever gift of the Spirit that would manifest through you, a spontaneous love song unto God. We are to learn to speak as the oracles of God when we come together and be more conscious of Christ in our midst than those that are the main speakers or the ones that are leading the music at the front or whatever the program is. That's why I highly emphasize God's house must return to becoming the house of prayer where we don't have pre-service prayer meetings but the church service becomes a place where we start the service on our faces in awe before God at least with some period of silence where you're praying quietly to yourself and so on for maybe five to ten minutes and then after that people can pray out as they sense the Holy Spirit leading them one here one there and people are all in unity and agreement with those prayers when they sense the Spirit saying amen through them, someone could be off and praying out of their own self-conceit or whatever the odd time. We forbear with those. We have patience. But there's that time of significant prayer for maybe in half an hour or an hour that's part of the service. And then after that, wonderful worship songs that have depth and meaning with the words in fact, the congregation should be creating their own songs and having their own book of songs with others that have a gift to put tunes to those songs as well as other songs from throughout church history and so on that have depth and meaning. And so on my website at ultimatemeaning.com and also at loverealize.com where you can find these messages, you will find that there is a playlist of Wonderful worship songs that have great depth and meaning. Now, most of those are hymns right now. Many of them come from the underground church in China that was greatly persecuted through the work of Watchman Nee and his co-workers that planted hundreds of churches in China. He was martyred in 1972. But there's great meaning and depth in many of those hymns. He wrote many books that were prolific in the Christian bookstores here in the 1970s and 80s and so on. 
but I will be adding many other worship songs in the future that more are focused on worship than being hymns that will release also unto God. But these can be used if you are starting a congregation. There you have it. You don't have to have musicians. You can play those songs. They're all on YouTube. They have the words with them. Beautiful music, meaning depth. You can cast lots before God in reverence to get maybe 10 songs or whatever you want to choose and play them before God. Now, in the casting of the lot, I want to explain for those that are new that one thing I do to facilitate speaking prophetically, that is, as the oracles of God, is that I cast lots to get two chapters from the Word of God each day. And I do it with great reverence so that those two chapters would bear witness with each other as to the message, as to the theme. And then I used to, when I did audios, immediately speak. In this case, I am speaking and going to be touching on what I received throughout the whole week and also what I received today. I don't know what I'm going to share because that facilitates allowing God to speak through me prophetically, that is, speaking as the oracles of God. I'm not saying that I'm in such a close relationship with God that everything I'm saying is coming from God. I'm obviously, I'm not perfect like all of us. We're not at that place yet, but we are aiming for that always because as God commanded Abraham, walk before me and be thou perfect. We are never to accept anything less than being fully pleasing to God in every area of our lives. So I want to share with you what I received today and throughout this week, what God by his spirit is saying to the churches, especially throughout Canada and the United States, because I live in Canada. It is the epicenter of much that is going on in the, on in the world that has affected the whole, whole world. So this message is not only to the churches in Canada and the United States, but throughout the whole world. What is God saying in this particular time? It says in Matthew 25 towards the end, pardon me, 24 towards the end, it says, Blessed is that servant whom his Lord when he cometh so doing. What? Feeding the sheep in due season. And yet how many of us as pastors, let alone the congregation, are seeking to hear what the Spirit is saying and to speak out of the Spirit in a heart set, in a mindset of worship that releases what God is wanting to say. Many of us, the reason that's not the case is because we've lost the genuine fear of God in great measure in our midst. And God is wanting to restore that in the last days. So I want to share with you that I also seek for God to lead me in a hymn. I was a bit hasty in trying to cast lots in the hymn this day and I was wondering why God wasn't giving me the right hymn that fit with the music because usually it always is when I cast lots and I realized I was in a hurry. I'm, God will not tolerate any. When you cast lots before God, you must be in great reverence if God's leading you to do that as he often does me. I even separate the applications I use each day afresh by applying the blood of Christ to them through clicking my mouse. I do that in earnest prayer with great reverence. And I've certainly received very significant themes on, well, every day this week. 
a lot more than last week. They weren't as defined, but they were still there last week. Usually when they're less defined, they're even more rich when you see them. But God is speaking very clearly this week by the casting of lot through the word of God. But I do want to choose, show you the song I decided to go with that I just chose that I felt would be fitting because I failed in the casting of the lot and I didn't want to spend more time. And so this song is fitting with what God is saying. And I want to put this in the context of what this week is. Because today is September the 30th, yeah, the 30th of 2023. The Feast of Tabernacles started Friday evening when the sun went down. And it will be going for, I think it is seven days or so. And so this is about the Feast of Tabernacles. It is the one feast that is clearly shown in the Word of God to be for all nations to participate in. In fact, the early church fathers, when they came to United States as pilgrims and landed on the shores, probably, well, the evidence is very clear that they had put great significance on this feast, which then there's very strong evidence showing later on became Thanksgiving Day. But the Feast of Tabernacles is also a very significant thing this week that needs to be talked on. But that is not what I'm going to do in pointing out what I received. But first, let us have a worship song that will draw us in to a love relationship with God out of the hardness of heart if we're caught up with the distractions of this world which we ought not to be. And so I want to bring forth this song that we will sing and I will minimize myself when I um, have this playing in a moment. Oh, no. 
how beautiful a song that was. How wonderful. And that's on my website. I brought it down a bit because I knew the color would be off if it was full screen. But uh, this is a song that just makes you fall in love with Yahweh, the Almighty's, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, who's in our midst, in whom all the fullness of the Godhead dwells. And I'm here to just share as the Lord leads. And in that song, you saw the little drops of water coming off the plants and landing on the mushroom that brought forth the beautiful smell of spices. And so it is. It says, thy doctrine shall distill as the dew. When we learn to wait on God and be in awe of whose presence we are in and become more conscious of him in our midst than of any man, brothers and sisters, his glory will come in our midst. This is the Feast of Tabernacles. And we are living in an hour when God wants to tabernacle among his people and he is calling for a new order in the body of Christ where we become more conscious of him in our midst than any person. His jealousy is going to devour the whole earth and consume all the things that man has exalted before him. And the believers have been mesmerized by and made drunken so that they are insensitive and have become hard of heart and have lost that first love. But this song is a song that shows the wonderful love God has for us and the desire he has with such zeal for each one of us as individuals to know a radical love relationship with him of abundant life that is unconditional of materialism, of circumstances we are in that can cause us, like Paul the Apostle, to sing the praises of God in the midst of the most dire circumstances of being put in shackles and whipped. We need to know that kind of abundant life. Unconditional love for God. With great reverence, because you see, when you really love someone, they're very precious to you, and you don't treat them as common. And I sense the Lord telling me to say this too. A lot of people use the word daddy, daddy for the father. I'm not going to condemn you or say, oh, you can't use that word or that God doesn't accept that word even. But I can tell you one thing in the original language. It's not saying daddy, but the word father in the English in the original is father. And the word father has more than just the context of a common father. This is the originator, the word father meaning originator. This is the God our father. And there is a big difference between God our Father, although it is typified in the father-son relationship that we have in families. And so I prefer to use the word father because it's more towards the original language and has a reverence in it. 
And it's a thing that God wants to restore in the last days because we're talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's called what? The Days of Awe. You've got Yom Kippur. You, first of all, you got the Feast of Trumpets. Yom Kippur. And then you have the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's referred to as the Days of Awe. The Feast of Tabernacles starts with a solemn assembly. But it ends with jubilation. There's a lot to share on the Feast of Tabernacles. I want to share a little bit here. And if I don't get too much into the scriptures, that's fine. In the Feast of Tabernacles, there are two take the branches of trees and build a booth and then not live in their homes but live in that for a week. What does that speak of? Because when they build the booth, they're, they're to have the roof open so that you can see through the roof the stars. What does that speak of, brothers and sisters? First of all, it's to remember of what they came out of from Egypt, and that they are pilgrims in this world, and that our dwelling place is not in this world. We are strangers to this world system because it is run on a corrupt system of self-worship, of corruption, in independence from God, Yahweh the Almighty's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God is calling us as his people on the Feast of Tabernacles to remember what we've been saved from, the things that once held us in captivity, temporal flirting pleasures that can be used as bait by various powers and the powers of darkness to manipulate our lives to destruction. But God gives us, when we come into reconciliation with God, God the Father through Jesus Christ, he gives us the secret to overcome these things. Oh yes, there is the battle between the flesh and the spirit. But in our journey, we can come to the place where as we persevere, we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. And so... These booths represent that we are not to have our heart in the habitations of comfort that can make us insular, the gods of pleasure, the gods of amusement. And many people spend hours watching sport and they don't spend time seeking God. They are more focused with their emotions and their energy as Christians on all the sports. And yet, you look at some of the great figures in history that were men of God, like Wesley and others, they would not even allow their children to play sports, let alone watch it. Because the things that are highly esteemed among men are an abomination in the sight of God. Does that mean that I am putting you in bondage and saying, you can't watch sports? No, because Paul made it clear. He said that the belly for meats and the meats for belly, but I will not be un brought under the power of any. And he said basically this, I will not, uh, there is no, there is liberty, there is no law 
that you can't do this or you can't do that. But I will not be brought under the power. And so I'm not saying those things are wrong, that you can't watch something to relax and so on. I am not God, and I don't want to ever put people under bondage. But I want to be also exposing the things that are robbing us from such an abundant experience of radical love for God and for one another that we don't even, we've hardly scratched the surface yet of what God wants to do in the body of Christ in this hour of crisis. And so the other representation of that little booth that they're dwelling in is that our heart does not become hard like the electrons spinning around the nucleus of the atom that form a hard shell. We're in the whirl of all the pleasures of this world, taking up our time and our energy and our focus. And here there are multitudes around us that are lost. And because we're not seeking the Lord and waiting on him, waiting, being still and knowing that he is God. There's a place for that and then there's a place for great jubilation as the Spirit leads. But God wants to distill the dew of his Spirit in our heart and to give us the revelation, revelations of the glory of Jesus Christ and of his kingdom. That's what's important, is a love relationship with God. And are we entering into it out of the genuine fear of God that always drives one to a place of great integrity and honesty before God in the light of how undone we are apart from his mercy and his grace. We recognize that we can't trust in our own sufficiency and our own righteousness. We don't hide our weaknesses of struggle with the temptations of the flesh, but we bring them to the light in the time of need and come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find grace in that time of need. And he will cause us to overcome and learn how to come out of the deceptions of the flesh, of our ways into his. And so it involves the genuine fear of God which is represented in the negative symbol out of which is formed the positive symbol. The negative symbol representing the integrity of God's love that will not tolerate what is contrary to love, love being that agape love that always chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice, independent of feeling whether there's the feeling or not of the filial love. God's love is so pure, it is so integrous. It always chooses the highest lasting good. It will be severe in anything less in our lives. Yes, the father is severe on his children in their rebellion, in their disobedience to spank them, okay? He chastens his children where you're not his child. 
That doesn't mean he doesn't love you because he's putting you through trials because it takes the trials to unravel the deception. Look at Jacob went through and the crisis he had to face before he became Israel. The word Jacob means deceiver. But he became a prince of God because he had a hunger for God. And he had the real fear of God despite his deceptions. It's like the high priest and Zechariah, clothed with filthy garments, the enemies accusing him, and so was Jacob wrestling and feeling condemned in his own heart of what he did to Esau and feeling like he deserved the judgment of God. And so this, the Lord comes in incarnate form, Jesus Christ, and wrestles with him. And there is a struggle between the flesh and the spirit. But because of his hunger for God, God broke him and made him Israel. Brothers and sisters, we're on a journey. And he wants us to enter in to the secret of knowing him. For the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And first, we must be totally reciprocative of who God is in the integrity of his love, which is his holiness, which is represented in the negative symbol, which represents an indestructible foundation that will not tolerate corruption and represents cutting off all corruption. And only as we see our need in the light of his holiness can we then see the greatness of his mercy and love to forgive us because in the light of his holiness we confess our sins and say god be merciful to me a sinner knowing that he is totally right and us refusing to deceive ourselves and say oh this isn't sin oh i can uh live this way and still God will accept me. Anyhow, it's too much to talk about. I, I want to get, get into, I, this is all on the Feast of Tabernacles. So when there is that turning in the heart of accepting the negative, which is really the positive that is formed out of it, the mercy of God endures forever. I won't get into that. That's another topic. Why it says endures forever. But it's basically because if he didn't have a love that was so great that he could humble himself more than you, a mere creature, and suffer more than you, a mere creature, on the cross so that you could repent and be saved, and he would have done that even if you were the only one that was created. That's what the people that have entered heaven, like Dean Braxton and Dale Black and others that truly were highly verified as dead and entered heaven say. The love's so intense there, that's another topic. Can't get into it. But God is wanting us to know that this love he has is that great for us. And it was always a reality in the being of God even before this world was created and this solar system and galaxy, if it was just this one that was particularly moved upon, I know not. Because it talks about the heaven of heavens and heaven. But God wants us to know this relationship with him 
of such love, like this song showed, that our hearts are tender and they're open to seeing the star in the sky that is the joy that is set before us. What does it say? Let the day star arise in your heart. There is an arising that takes away the shadows. In him is no shadow of turning. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. But until the shadows are fleed out of our heart of our own deceptions, we cannot be entrusted with those gifts and those goodnesses that come from God, depending on his purpose and how he is calling us in our pilgrimage to be molded as part of that beautiful mosaic in heaven that is filled with such incredible individuality and yet unity. We can even put our own identity more in our church and in our leaders than in our relationship with God so that we conform to one another more than we do in our relationship with God. We can be filled with activity, going to church and doing all kinds of things without a first love relationship with God. God is calling his people to have hearts that recognize we are strangers and pilgrims in this world, hearts that can see the star and the joy that is set before us. And yes, we may go through a purify, purifying where the cross of his love puts to death the impurity in our lives. So we embrace the cross that kills impurity that we might be purified because in purity before God, through the washing of his word that prevails to show us those things where we fall short because we allow that sword, which represents the two aspects of the love of God. First, the integrity of his love that will not tolerate sin out of which springs the mercy of his love. Those two sides of the sword that circumcise our heart. Take away the hardness. Like electricity, the shell of the spin of the loves of the world is broken and we have breakthrough in our lives into a wealthy place. What does it say of Joseph until his word came? The word of the Lord tried him. Look at what the Brethren of Joseph did because they were in their own ways, and yet God in his mercy brought them into a relationship with God by bringing them to the place where that shell of hardness and of deception that caused them to be so evil and corrupt was broken. And so it will be in the last days with Israel and Zechariah. What will happen there? It says they will look on me. That's referring to Yahweh. They will look upon me whom they have pierced. That's when Jesus Christ returns and the Mount of Olives splits in half. They will look on me whom they have pierced. And they will mourn for him. And we're living today in a time when we're on a journey 
And the Feast of Tabernacles is the time when the body of Christ wakes up, comes into a unity with the Father and with one another that forms Christian community in little communities, small and great believers gathering together in this new order that will not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ, that will fulfill John 17 and bring in a mighty reaping of the harvest because as the church is right now, it is not ready for a great and gathering of the harvest. What do you think is going to happen when Ezekiel 36 and 37 are fulfilled? Israel's on the verge of war right now. It could be happening right now that those 200,000 missiles fall upon Israel and Israel uses an atomic bomb and hits northern Lebanon, which I happen to know from a brother that was greatly persecuted in Romania and was a top general there and had a vision that this would all happen. And then after that, Iran comes against them and then with Iran, Turkey, and all that fulfillment in Ezekiel happens. And then people know that the only true God could possibly be this Yahweh. And multitudes come into the kingdom of God. Is the body of Christ ready for the reaping of such a harvest? And all of this corruption is overthrown. Before the Antichrist comes, this great harvest happens. And then the Antichrist comes after that. Not these wackos right now that are trying to control the world and think they are God. God has his plan. And he that sits in the heavens laughs at the plans of man and his conceit. Oh, you've got computers that are smarter than us and might take us over, really, when you can't even produce what's in a cell. The amazing machinery in a cell that you cannot even see. Little robots walking on tracks with addresses to take things to different places that can form a whole human body. And that's just one machine of the many in there. And this is just an inferior dimension in the physical compared to the dimensions from the fourth to the tenth dimension that have been pretty well shown through mathematical analysis from particle physics. Oh, my brothers and sisters, I haven't even got to the message today. But I'm going to touch on it because I want you to know what God has been saying by his spirit this week. This week, the overall theme has been that Christ is coming back soon. Not maybe so much the emphasis on soon, although it is soon. That's why God is giving these verses. And so I want to point out what I received by the casting of Lot. I don't think I would love to preach on every one of these in detail, but, you know, videos only allow you so much time on the camera and so on. And so I received on Monday, Zephaniah 2 and Mark 13, and both of those chapters are about the return of Jesus Christ to the earth and about the judgment that God will bring upon the earth just before his return and as he is seen returning by the whole earth. And man, this is one long message right here for Monday. But this repeated itself throughout the whole week overall. So I want to give a rough overview, first of all, of what I received throughout the week. It says, for example, in Zechariah 2.3 here on Monday, 
Seek ye the Lord, all ye meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgments. Seek righteousness, seek meekness, which means a creased eyebrow that is all searching over one's heart to know that their heart is right with God and that doesn't respond to the outward circumstances, but has humility and can be therefore entrusted to oversee things without spiritual loss. And so it says, seek meekness, it may be, ye shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. And we are coming to a time when God's wrath is going to be poured out as never before because of the obvious terrible wickedness that we see around us, which is manifested as never before to the shock of the multitudes. Power structures being taken over that are, because I'm doing this video on YouTube, I'm not going to go into the details. You know what's going on. It talks about the judgment that's going to come upon the wicked because they've magnified themselves against the people of the Lord of Yahweh of hosts. The Lord will be terrible unto them, for he will famish all the gods of the earth, and men shall worship him, every one from his place, all the isles of the heathen. goes on. I could talk. It's, you know, wonderful reading all these things about the last days. This is talking about how God will punish the people in the last days for their wickedness. And the Lord says this, I have cut off the nations. Their towers are desolate. This is a description that's happening in the book of Revelation. Babylon falls in the book of Revelations. That involves the falling of many towers. I made their streets waste that none passes by there. Cities are destroyed so that there is no man that there is none inhabited. I said, surely thou wilt fear me, thou wilt receive instruction, so their dwelling should not be cut off, howsoever I punished them. But they rose early and corrupted all their deeds, their doings. Therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord. You see the importance of waiting on God. And that word waiting has the understanding of collecting, like holding hands to collect water, we, the, dis, the dew distills on the grass. In a sense, it's the same thing. It also has the understanding of a rope that is gradually intertwined to, to threads and intertwined to form a strong rope. Our identity is formed in God by being in awe of him and not so quick to be presumptuous, to speak presumptuously before him. We learn reverence and awe. And there's then out of that that great liberty and creativity comes forth as we first learn to be in that place of humility of whose presence we are in, in the genuine fear of God. He goes on and he says, Therefore wait ye upon me, saith Yahweh, until the, till the day I rise up, 
to the prey, for my determination is to gather the nations that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them my indignation, even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy, for then will I turn the people of pure language that they may call upon the name of Yahweh to serve him with one consent. Yahweh refers. I shouldn't say refers. Yahweh is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is the being of God in the three aspects of God and personage to rule in the three ultimate aspects of existence which are beyond creation, in creation, and filling all creation. I will go on. Mark 13, I could share an awful lot on this. We have a clear pattern showing exactly how the Lord will return here. The chronology. After the great tribulation, it says, the sun will be darkened and the moon shall not give her light because of an asteroid hit, most likely. That's what, what is it, Tom Horan saw and his prophecies have been dead accurate thus far in very detail. And the stars of heaven shall fall and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And then after that, what happens? Then the whole world sees the Son of Man coming in the clouds of the saints, most likely, with great power and glory, multitudes like a crowd, cloud around them. They see it in outer space. And they call for the mountains and the rocks to fall on them, as mentioned in Revelations chapter 1. And then shall he send his angels and shall gather together his elect from the four winds from the uttermost part. So somewhere even when that is happening is when there is this sudden rapture or translation of the saints like a flash of lightning from the east to the west. So we go on. And I don't have time to go into all of these things. Tuesday, just touch on this. Both of these chapters are about the return of Jesus Christ to judge the nations with the saints who will be able to appear and disappear with great power and authority to judge and destroy the wicked when he returns to the earth. It describes this. It describes him giving one shepherd for the nation of Israel, which is his servant David. Whether that's referring to Jesus Christ in the sense that the word David in the Hebrew means beloved, my servant beloved, he shall feed them. He shall be the shepherd. And I, Yahweh, will be their almighties in the original. That's what that is, which refers to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And David means beloved. So David is referring to the Messiah. I'm just going to turn this noise off right now. Just one sec. Okay. So, <clears throat> we go on.
And it talks about the Son of Man prophesying against the shepherds of Israel. In contrast to David, who will be the true shepherd over the nation of Israel, whereas the shepherds that became religious, like the Pharisees, were in the time of Christ and so on, and out of their own self-sufficiency and righteousness, caused the sheep of Israel, and there are many Israelis that are disillusioned with religion and become atheistic. But God is going to reveal himself to those that became no people, such as those that became atheists, that they might know their God again. Remember what it says in Hosea? That you will become no people, but in the place where you are called no people, there you will become my people again. Yes, so many, uh, almost 50%, maybe a little less than 50%, or around 50% of the Israeli population, which is mostly consecrated in, concentrated in Tel Aviv, are atheists. But it's also true of the Orthodox Jews. And then a lad that saw what would happen, including the splitting of the Mount of Olives when he died, he was 15 years old, and interviewed by, you know, some Orthodox Jews in a congregation, very interesting video to watch. He saw an atomic bomb over top of Tel Aviv that would just stay in the air and wouldn't fall when it was supposed to. It was an atomic bomb made to make a smaller hit and totally destroy Tel Aviv. God was giving Tel Aviv time for all these people to repent before that bomb hit, and I'm sure that gave them time to flee. It was somehow suspended in the air just before his coming. At the same time, in two days, Israel's military might will be wiped out as all the nations come against her, as prophesied in Zechariah. But God will bring out of that great trial a remnant that are his, the ones that genuinely fear God, that are not just religious and doing it for their own interests and selfishness. It talks about when the Lord returns here, of those that will be like the Jew, that will come and disappear, and they will be like lions among the people, with authority and power, as the servants of the living God, the Most High. And there will be the resurrection of the dead at that time, the first resurrection, blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection, for in such the Second death has no power. According to that lad, that resurrection happens about two weeks after the Messiah returns. Who knows? I would think it was significant what this lad that died at 15 saw. The remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many people as Jew from the Lord, as the showers upon the grass that tarrieth not for man, nor waiteth for the sons of men. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles in the midst of many people, as a lion among the beasts of the forest, as a young lion among the flocks of the sheep, who, if he go through, both treadeth down and teareth in pieces, 
and none can deliver. We go on. What did I get on Wednesday? Revelations chapter 3. And Philemon 1, and man, I don't know how long I've been preaching here, but it must be a while. I'll sum up what this is about. This is about Christ knocking at the door of the church of Laodicea. And it's also about the church of Philadelphia. Which church are you going to become? Which direction are you going? Counterfeit miracles, counterfeit revival, or genuine miracles? Genuine revival. Out of the mouth of the beast and the false prophet come frogs, which are representing uncleanness, which is the ground for the enemy to deceive, and which is the ground for false miracles and lying signs and wonders. Are you going to be the church with the counterfeit revival and the lying sun, lying signs and wonders and miracles? Or the church that is the church of Philadelphia? That is the question. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and I got Philemon. Philemon was a slave, and he fled because of the slavery. And many have fled the church because the church has been hard-hearted and in love with the world, and they've formed denominational shells that hurt the sheep that are weak, which is described earlier, the shepherds that were judged because they had fed themselves and not the sheep. And the sheep that fall the waters and hurt the weak sheep so that they left the congregation because they were hurt. Because they did not sense that they were loved because they who didn't have position and prestige, they weren't wealthy like you. They didn't have a charismatic personality like you. So you ignored them and you hurt them. partly because the body was not encouraged to function so that God could pour more abundant honor on the part that lacks. If you and the leadership is not facilitating each member in the body to be totally free to share without having to ask permission to use the mic or anything, how can he pour more abundant honor on the part that lacks? so that he humbles those that tend to be looked up to. Yes, he can pour a more powerful gift on those that are less significant. And it doesn't matter how insignificant the member is. If one member suffers, all suffer with it. Do we have that love, brothers and sisters? Or is the loves of the world made us a denominational shell? Well, we don't know the baptism of this love. That is what God is saying to the church. Philemon is knocking at the door of the church. Philemon was encouraged by Paul to go back to his master and to be received as a free person. Body of Christ, will you repent and allow the Philemons into your congregation, the backsliders? Will you be in a place where there can be a mighty baptism of love that will call them back home? 
That's what he's saying by his spirit this week. I didn't need Titus. I didn't see what God was saying until later. But Titus is just basically about the mercy of God. We are to show mercy towards those that are weak among us. We're to show great love and compassion towards them, not to hurt the sheep. That doesn't mean we walk in egg shells. That means that we're just caught up in a love relationship with God so that we have that love that's coming out of us that just once is sensitive to others because we've been sensitized to God out of the awe. But if we don't have the awe of God, if we're not learning to grow in the fear of God, then that can't happen. Because out of the fear of God that's birthed, the reception of who God is, first in his love, which when we receive because we see the greatness of his mercy, we respond in faith, and so faith works by love. Love for God. We can trust God when we love him when we know he loves us. Yes, the enemy can lie like he did to Zechariah the high priest and say, look at all the failures in your life. You're filled with this filthy garment. But the Lord came along to Zechariah the high priest because he was hungry for God and replaced his garments with a beautiful robe and a crown. And he was delivered from the condemnation of his own heart and the condemnation of Satan, which comes against the weak sheep. And others, there are sheep that don't know God that well, that often follow the waters and hurt those sheep. God is wanting us to become Christian community, and that means that we come into a powerful baptism of love. I don't know what this or the other. Then again, the next day, I get another chapter from the book of Revelation. And it's again a powerful message about the last days. Amalek is a type of the Antichrist. Oh, is he? Was he a wicked person? You see how wicked people are right now, where they don't care. They're in government and they don't care about the people they serve. They only care for themselves. And they're taking away the power of the people. They're ignoring the laws and putting people in jail that are totally innocent and torturing them. This is happening around the world right now. Amalek. He rebelled. He was the son of the maid of Gideon. Gideon had a maiden, and he was the son of this maiden. And he decided Gideon had 70 sons that ruled. And this character decided, you know, I'm going to talk to my friends. I want to be ruler and killed all, almost all of Gideon's sons, except one that escaped. And that one that escaped gave a prophecy there was a curse that would come and cause Amalek to be overthrown and all the people that were so corrupt to join with him to be overthrown and totally consumed, which they were. 
from this one's prophecy as he prophesied a curse upon them of the bramble that would devour the men of Shechem that followed Amalek. And of course, you can read the whole story. Well, this is exactly what the body of Christ will do in the last days. They will come into such a unity that they will speak against the curse of the enemy that has been accusing him, and the accuser of the brethren will be cast down, and Amalek, and they will speak forth the word of God that will bring Christ to the earth, out of which the sword of light will destroy the armies of the Antichrist and the Antichrist with blood represented symbolically up to the horse's bridle. But first, there's the harvest of judgment in Revelations, for, harvest of souls in Revelations 14, and then the harvest of judgment with the wine press. And we are at that time when this great harvest must come in and the body of Christ must wake up and become alive for what is about to happen. And so Revelations 15 is about the last judgments that come upon the Antichrist and the people that are following the Antichrist, which perfectly fits with Judges 9. God is calling us as his people to be those that prevail because it says of the church in the next chapter, I believe, Revelation 16, if I remember right, says, Behold, blessed is he that keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked. And they, it says, he commands them to watch and say, Blessed is he that keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked, and they see his shame. That's speaking to the church that is alive at the very last part of the reign of the Antichrist. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest they see his shame. Because if they see your shame, and they see that you're in love with the world, do you think you're going to make it? that you're going to be translated? No, I don't think so. This is about those that overcame the Antichrist, that are on the sea of glass, worshiping God. But there's great anger from the Lord, so that the temple is filled with the glory of God, and no one can enter the temple until this wrath is totally released upon the Antichrist and the world system. And of course, in Isaiah 26, the last chapter, it talks about us hiding ourselves also from this last Passover that will happen where the wrath of God will come upon the whole earth. That is what happens there. Friday, I've, I don't know what happened there. I don't have time to look at it, and I'm just going to touch on Saturday what I received today. I received by the casting of Lot today John 15 and John 9, and John 15 is about abiding in the Lord. So I'm just going to read briefly what I got here. This was put in by Mike, so there might be a lot of spelling things that didn't come in right with the microphone. 
The secret to abiding in God the Father through Jesus Christ is learning total dependency on God instead of trusting in our own sufficiency and righteousness. And all that we do in worship and in living out our worship to God the Father. <clears throat> in John 9, the clay that is put on the blind man's eyes reveals the secret of abiding in God the Father through Jesus Christ. We cannot be the church of Laodicea which said they saw and like the Pharisees which said they saw. We humble ourselves, we put on the eye salve in other words, and seek with our heart of repentance for the washing of God's word that will bring sight to us so that we can see. Because if we're prey to uncleanness and we're not knowing the wholeness that comes in our inner being from a life that is clean, then we fall prey to not seeing aright and to deception and to having garments where there's nakedness. Revelation in our love and relationship with God is so important. We die to identity and anything of this world, such as our friends, and have integrity with God. I don't have time to do anything more but just touch on this. I would say in closing this. I tried to get a place and to start meetings that would be in a new order under the headship of Christ here this week by seeing if in the housing co-op they would let me do this. Most of the people in the past were Christians. Now it's 50-50. The fellow told me I was very surprised because we've had Christian meetings here that went on for almost six months with a certain brother and they allowed it. Uh, now he says no. Most likely they won't allow it because he says 50% of the people are non-Christian and 20% um, are so against anything religious that if we did it, he said, um, they would, they would, they would, they they say they'd go to a lawyer and complain that we're using government services for religious things. Well. That's ridiculous because that building can be for whoever is here that is non-religious. If they believe in Buddhism, go and use the building for that. Or if they believe in whatever else, come on. I can't use it as a Christian because some small group of people here is going to go. I would tell them, go ahead. I'll fight you in court and win. You're not going to tell us what to do. This is a public place, and you're just as religious as anyone else. Your religion may be atheism. That is full of crap. Your religion may be some other hedonistic belief that justifies you being selfish and corrupt. Go ahead and have your religion. But don't tell me I can't have total liberty and freedom to use that building just as much as you. You know, what are we as Christians so weak that we don't take a stand as salt against such things like this? I'm disgusted. So the board, I suppose, is going to say, no, we don't want to offend some people that have a chip on their shoulder. God forbid. As far as I'm concerned, if that's the way it is, God will open a door somewhere else, but you won't have the blessing of God that I can't use a building to draw people. There are many people here that are Christians that would love to come. But maybe that's not God's plan, so I'm willing to accept whatever happens. But I'm asking you as a 
congregation, I would love to do this, but it, and the Lord already confirmed his blessing because I said, Lord, I need a laptop computer and I have no money for one because I gave it to someone that was poor and they broke it and I, and it's no good. And so that very day, one of my domain names sold, the only one that sold in years. And I got a little over 1,500 in Canadian after commissions. But I do need your support that God would provide some place of worship. So I pray that you would be willing to support me. You can do that at loverealize.com, but it's not nonprofit right now. I point that out. I can organize that later, if that's probably what God would want. But if God wants me to be some part of another church, and He does, but it seems He's confirming this, so I'm willing to run with it and take bold steps. So I need God's permission. If it's not going to be here, that I can get a place by the looks of it. It looks like that won't happen unless God makes a way where there is no way. And so you can purchase my books on Amazon, on The Afterlife, Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable, or the other book, God, Headship, and Body Invasion, and what you can do in your church to not limit the fullness of the Godhead, of the, the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your assembly. So thank you for listening to this message. God bless you all.